You're now listening to A New Coat of Paint, starring the owners of LJK Finishes, Lewis J. Katz, and Scott Katz. A New Coat of Paint is a podcast for independent painters, wallpaper hangers, and contractors of any size to discuss their craft, business practices, marketing strategies, and a lot more. For all your contracting questions, with a special expert lens on wallpaper, this is A New Coat of Paint. Thank you to Tooltags for all your tool tracking needs. Visit tooltagsapp.com for more info. Thanks. Welcome to the New Coat of Paint podcast, hosted by Lewis and Scott Katz. Good afternoon, Lewis. How are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you this morning? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. We've been back at work full swing, and so I thought it was a good time to, you know, catch up and work on, you know, doing our podcast again. Yeah, it sounds like a fun idea. Where do you want to get started? Well, I thought a good thing to talk about today, since everybody's starting to get, especially in our region, really starting to get back to work, is... Pricing and pricing continuity across the the business and how that translates and how it relates to whether or not you're a freelancer or if you run a full business and you're a small business contractor and then if you want to grow from being a freelancer into a small business contractor and all the steps that it takes in the intermediary. Mm-hmm. So I thought I, we could start, you know, with you telling a little bit about that transition, how LJK started with just you and how it's grown to kind of what we are now. Sure. Well, it was back in like 1979. I had uh, gotten married and uh, I was looking for work and family had this business. And so I started to apprentice And I apprenticed for two and a half years with my family. And once I finished the two and a half years, my uncle came to me and said, you know, you'll never make uh, money working for my son because he's too cheap. Why don't you become a paper hanger? And I said, well, how would I do that? So he told me about a wallpaper school. And at the time, it was the only accredited school in the United States. It's called the U.S. School of Professional Paper Hanging. So I ended up going to the U.S. school and then coming back and getting into business on my own. So I was working for my family, hanging their wool coverings for other contractors and expanding from there. And then once the business got started and we started to get some real work, I decided to take on a helper. And then from a helper, I went over and took on um, an extra employee to start doing some of my painting and prep so that I can concentrate on being on the walls. And then it grew to where I had about a dozen guys working with me. Then about, um, oh, about 17 years ago, Scott came to me and said, gee, what, you know, I think I want to come into the business as well. So we had a discussion of where that would go. And then Scott came into the business, you came into the business, and we started working together. 
And then we expanded and contract and, you know, we made some mistakes and we fixed them and figured out where our track should be. And that brings us up to the present. And um, when exactly do you feel like you knew the difference when you stopped being, it stopped being a freelancer where you were just working every day in order to make money for yourself and for the family, as opposed to growing the business into something more substantial, something that was going to be a legacy, something that was going to have to not just sustain you, but sustain others and itself. Um, I think that really came about um, when the twins were born. Um, You know, it really drove it home. I had now an established business and we had a lot of work coming in. Wallpaper was very much in fashion. So um, I decided to to turn it into a real venture. Um, Do you think that was a conscious decision or did you just one day wake up and realize, wow, I have too much business, it's just me, I have to do more, I I can do more, I can make more money? Or was it as you started to grow, did you decide, "I, I want to be more than just a wallpaper hanger, I want to have more than just what I can do with my hands? Yeah, well, that, that comes from a lot of different things. Um, we, I, I talk with a lot of mentors um, that I had back then and realized that when you work for yourself, you can only make what you make. But if you add employees, then you can exponentially make more with me doing a different piece of the business. The time I thought it would be less work. <laughs> uh, we all make mistakes. Don't we? <laughs> I, that was one of the mistakes I think I was talking about. But um, w- once I realized that um, having employees goes over and and changes what my profit margins were, um, I realized that I needed to to go over and embrace that. And I mean, what have some of the obstacles been as far as that early expansion when you were really? making the transition. I mean, it was you and it was Victor. It was you and one person. You guys worked together intimately. You, you know, it was just every day you'd pick him up and you guys would do the job that you had. If it was a couple days, it was a week. It was just you guys. You, you knew what was done every day because you were there all day, every day. You knew what he was doing because while you were working, he was working next to you. You know, what was some of the biggest and most challenging transitions from just being there and being you and to being a bit being the leader of a business being somebody else's boss um that that's an interesting transition uh the the moment that i really realized that and one of the things that i realized is i have to let go you can't do it all yourself if you're going to have employees you can't do it all yourself and you have to understand that even if you do it all yourself, it's never going to be, you're always beating yourself up. You know, I don't care how good of a job I do, I always can think of 10 ways I could have made it better. And realizing that I can't, you know, I can teach someone how to do it the right way and they have to form their own ideas and how it makes them, how easy they work. But you can't control everything, and you have to let it go, and you have to let the job happen. It's 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 work. It's it's a business. 
This is not anything. It's not a personal thing. It's a business thing. The thing that's personal is the pride that you take. And, uh, you know, learning that you're probably, you, know, you have to be careful that your pride doesn't get in the way of your business. That's a true enough statement. Um, how did you find your first few employees? I mean, you didn't have a ton of resources. You didn't have any experience hiring people. You didn't have a business model or a training program to get anybody in. So how did you find one of the things that I'm most proud of in our business and one of the things that when I think about the future of running the business and how I've taken more of a control of the business and the day-to-day stuff lately, one of the things I really try and emulate is we have employees that predate me being in the company. We have employees that know that I know since I'm a child and I think that that's something that anybody could be proud of and that any biz- any good business could say that they, you know, everybody has turnover, everybody has bad employees, but we have found good employees that have, let, you know, stood the test of time, been loyal, we've been loyal to them. But how did you go about finding your earliest employees? Well, my first employees were people that I knew and had worked with that were also a little on the disgruntled side from places they had been working. And they were looking for something, you know, a a different kind of a boss. And I felt I could be that person. And um, it turns out, you know, they, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. Um, They've all moved on. I mean, uh, Victor, who you mentioned before, is now um, like 80. You know, he's just the only reason he's still not working with us is because he's too old to be working with us anymore. Um, Other guys have gone off to do other uh, jobs and so on, but I'm still friends with them. You know, they call every once or twice a year and we talk. We're on Facebook together. So, uh, you know, there were people that I knew. Um, That's the first place. Then back in the day, newspaper ads were the thing. We ran newspaper ads and we got people to call and then I interviewed them and figure out what they knew or didn't know. And, and then I would give them a shot. So, uh, and you know, if they worked out, they worked out. If they didn't, then we moved on. We, got, we hired somebody else. And then once you have a couple of people working for you, who do they know? Um, like Danielle, who's with us almost, uh, you know, 30 years. Uh, when he started working with us, well, you know, who do you know? So we ended up with his nephew. You know, so, you know, family members, so it became a larger family. And then other people who were, you know, we, when we needed them part-time, who eventually, you know, 10, 15 years down the road became full-time employees. So, you know, they were floaters at the time. So, you know, it was more word of mouth, talking to people, meeting people at the paint store, um, putting ads in the paper. It's a hunt, and it's even harder now. It's even harder now. It's very hard to find competent employees, people who actually know how to do the job. Um, You know, you want to see the difference between, um, uh, you know, a a real person painting and, and, uh, you know, somebody who's just doing it as a side gig. Go look at the work. Um, You know, um, expensive hurts you once. Cheap will hurt you every time you have to look at it. So... (laughs) Um, you know, yeah, you have to, to, to see how people work and um, teaching people work ethic. If you ask any of our guys, what's the three most important things? 
every one of them will answer clean, clean, and clean. Because that's our motto. We want to be the cleanest painters out there. Uh, you never hear someone come in and go, oh my God, what a beautiful paint job. They'll come in and go, wow, I've never seen a room left this clean. And so it's an important part of the job. And the people that learn that part of the job are the ones that are still around. So uh, I think that's more or less a good summation. Um, did you find it difficult to go from people who were contemporaries or people you were hiring for a day or for a job to hiring full employees and having to be their boss? Was that a difficult transition as opposed to being somebody's equal, someone contemporary, to being someone who was in charge that they had to not just work with but work for? I. You know, uh, that, that's an interesting question because it will be different from me to you. Um, well, I mean, you came into a business. I was going to say, for me, when I came in, there was already employees, many of them who were still with us. Some, and so for me, where I did a little bit of work on the day-to-day -day when I first got started to learn some of the business, I think it was pretty well understood that I was coming into the business to take the role as somebody in charge, to be a foreman, and to run the jobs, and to eventually run the company. So where I did have to win their respect through time and effort and learning and understanding, they, they I mean, then there was pushback, but they already knew who I was. Yes, yeah, so that's why I said it's, yeah. it's very different how for me, you, for you, you, from me to me. Yeah, for so, you, you were dealing with people who you had... Like I said, hired to do a day job or work together on a project or well, hired we for could a take, week. Uh, Victor is a perfect example. Victor is, you know, got, uh, you know, 15 years on me. And so, you know, he's an older guy who had been painting for 20 years when I met him. So our first day on the job, we had a very difficult uh, ceiling to do down in Manhattan where they had taken down acoustic tile, where it was the black mastic that had been holding it up. So for every one foot now by you're one foot, yourself. I know. <laughs> oh, every one foot by one foot tile, there were four globs of black tar that had been shipped out. So we came in and I turned to Victor and said, okay, this is how I want you to mix my plaster. And he looked at me and he said, excuse me? I said, yeah, trust me. And I got up on the plank and he started mixing for me. And at the end of the day, we had done three coats of plaster on the ceiling of these two rooms that had been made into one. And Victor looked at me, he says, okay, I now have respect for you. He says, I've never seen anything like that. And I can't wait to learn more. And we became friends because of that, because I was good at what I did. Um, I, my guys know if I say something should be done a certain way, it's because they know I've done it. You know, I, I've come onto job sites where I've seen them struggling with something. I'm like, why are you struggling with that? They're like, you can't do any better. And then I turn around and I mix up plaster and I throw it at the wall and I create a texture. And they look at me and they go, okay, I can't. You know, because I'm still, you know, there are certain things that I know that they'll, they may never know or things that I've forgotten that they may never know because I'm just, a, I'm a fanatic. I read, I, I buy books from the 1920s and 30s, how-to books and read how they did plaster and paint. 
so I understand the medium that I'm dealing with and, and the history of it because we're in New York and we have older homes. So by knowing all the different layers that are on there and so on made me a better uh, contractor, made me a better boss, and it made me a better painter, and it made me a better paper hanger. So um, the guys ended up having a lot of respect for me because I worked with a lot of them. They know, they know what I, that I can work. And they know that they, you know, if I'm saying something can be done in a certain amount of time, I know that it can be. So it puts them in a different level with me. So How do you find the respect you get as an expert but on the job working different from the type of respect that you need to command in order to be somebody's boss? In order to be able to, instead of spending eight hours on a job, leading them and showing them how it can be done and, and leading by example, you know, the classic picture of, you know, leader versus boss where the leader is pulling the cart and the boss is sitting on the back of it. It's very easy to be that leader when you're on the job every day if you know what you're doing and you have a good work ethic. How do you feel you're able to keep that same level of respect and keep that same mutual respect for a guy that you are only on the job for an hour a day because we have 10 jobs going on or six jobs going on. So even between the two of us, we can each only spend an hour or two a day per job because we just have too many places to be. We have estimates to do. We have phone calls to make. We have, you know, bills to send out. We have what all the other things that I want to get into in a second about the difference between being a real business and being a freelance contractor. And how do you feel that you're able to commute that, continue that level of respect so that, A, they don't forget that you know as much or more than them, and B, so that you're able to explain what you need done and explain your expectations without them feeling like they're put upon or they're feeling like, oh, this is just some guy telling me what to do. He, you know, he doesn't know what it takes. Um, well, I, I, because it's a two-way street. <laughs> I pay them respect, so they pay me respect. Um, I, I respect their knowledge. I, you know, sometimes I'll look at the guys and go, do, I, do you really need me to explain to you what I want? And they go, no, we know what you want. And, and that comes, once again, from years of working with each other. Uh, newer guys are harder, you know, to, uh, to, to get that across to. But the guys that have been around for a long time, there's just mutual respect. I treat them the right way. Um, I, you know, I, I don't curse at the guys. And, you know, I, I treat them and their families. You know, I, a lot of contractors feel that they need to be separate from their employees. And I'm the opposite. I, I you know, I love to go to family gatherings. And, and so I know, I, I, you know, one of the guys was giving me trouble one day. And I said, don't make me call your mother. You know? And they were like, what? I said, I have your mother's number. Don't make me call your mother. You know, you're, you're, you're being disrespectful. And they're like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that. And because and, they know I will call their mother. And I have, you know, I know sometimes it sounds sort of like childish um, and that they may be children. They're not. They're, they're grown, grown people. And they act well. But 
you know what it's like to have someone say, I'm going to call your mommy on you. Um, when you can do that, you command a certain amount of respect because it's not just them that I'm dealing with. I, I, you know, they know that I am part of the family and that lends itself and they know that you're part of the family. So they've, they've overcome some of their, you know, their, their pushback. And they know that, you're, you know, they understand that you know what you're doing. They also respect you because they see the two of us take their backs. When it, when it comes to a situation, when they're wrong, they're wrong. But when they're right, I, we stand up for them. We don't just listen and go, oh, yeah, that's just fine. We don't let our employees be, uh, you know, harassed or, or being prejudiced against uh, I can go once again back all the way into the early 80s where I was doing a job on Park Avenue and uh, we showed up at the job and my crew was all black. I mean, Victor and the guys, they're all Jamaican and Bayesian and from Barbados and so on, Trinidad. And we showed up at a job site and we came in. And I was getting them set up in a duplex apartment on Park Avenue. And the woman turned to me and said, I asked her about using the bathroom. She said, sure, the bathroom's right here. She says, but if you don't mind, have the guys use the bathroom in the basement. <laughs> I looked at her and I laughed. I said, you're being joking me, right? She's like, no, no, no. I really would prefer if they use the bathroom in the basement. And I turned to the guys and said, guys, pack it up. She's like, what's going on? And I said, listen, if my guys, because they're black, can't use your bathroom, because you just said it's okay for me, so it's not about employees or contractors, it's about the color. That's not something that's happening here on my job site. And so we're just going to go. And the guys were like, no, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not okay. This is not okay. When your men know that that's who you are and who you stand up for and that you won't let them be treated poorly because they're employees or because of their color or their gender, because we've had plenty of women that have worked with us. Uh, you know, uh, we've had people of all orientations working with us. We don't care. If you do your job correctly and you're respectful, you will always have that with us. And I don't care who you are. So it's about content of character, and I think that the guys understand the content of our characters. I think that's fair, and I think that's a, a good lesson anybody could learn, that just because somebody works for you, that doesn't make them less than you. That just means that, it, you know, it's a team. Everybody, especially now, there's this capitalist, you know, criticism that all labor is exploited or that workers are treated less than the their bosses and I think it's important whatever the outside perception may be it's important internally to allow them to understand that we're a team um they need us we we fund the business we make sure that there's work for them when you know, a pandemic happens and we as a business are able to get money from the government. We make sure that we're taking care of them, even if there isn't work at the time. We, you know, they need a little extra money. They need a loan with no interest so they can, you know, pay a bill. They need a few hundred dollars to pay for tires for their car and they use their car for work. And so we're, you know, we're happy to help them with that. That's all well and good, but it's important 
to know that we need them too because there's too much work for the two of us to go into and do ourselves. And that's become a very inefficient use of our time. If you have to be hanging wallpaper or I have to be, you know, you know, rolling out paint on walls, we're not getting nearly enough done in any given day to make what we're trying to accomplish viable. And so as much as they need us, we need them. And if we view each other as teammates, where, yeah, I mean, every team has a captain and has the last guy on the bench, but without the last guy on the bench working just as hard as the captain, that team will never be successful. Exactly. You know what I mean? Everybody's mm-hmm. got to be together in in the focus, in the goals. Everyone the has world. to be rowing in the same direction. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> you're just going in a big circle. A circle, exactly. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think we have a good, you know, we, we, we're in that mode, and I think we're in a great direction at this point. All right. Well, um, I guess next, the question I'd like to, you know, the thing I'd like to bring up is, you know, this was a little bit before my time. We expanded a good amount since I've come into the business, and changed in some ways what we what our focus is and how we do things. But I'd like to talk about a little bit about the the pricing of a job. I think that's an important thing that people in our industry, everybody just kind of has their own method. Everybody does it their way. And unfortunately, that leads to a large amount of inconsistency in our business where we are always here undercutting each other. Everybody is so competitive against each other that a customer gets three estimates and one estimate is 30% less than the other two, but the customer wants, you know, now has heard a cheap price. And so they want everybody to do it at the cheap price in spite of the realities. So I want to talk a little bit about some of those realities that are the difference between a freelancer who throws a crew together to do a bigger job than they're used to, as opposed to somebody who's a small business. Some of the overhead costs, some of the well, each of those things ha- has their own their own space, and, and it's really hard. The biggest problem in, in our industry is it's very hard to create a standard. You know, what's it actually standard? Every every job is different. The amount of damage to something, the amount of coats on something, um, you know, the type of trim that you're installing. All those things are all different on every one of the jobs. There's so many different facets. So it's really hard to come up with a standardized, you know, position of what is quality and what is just paint. Um, the difference between a really good paint job and a bad paint job, first off, the quality of the materials that you're using, and second off, the quality of the preparation. What a lot of people don't understand is that preparation is everything. When they get this cheap price, preparation is not even on their radar. They'll come in, maybe they'll run a piece of sandpaper over the wall. If they get every pimple, they get them all. They don't care. That's not what they're there for. You wanted a cheap price, you got it. You got someone to roll out a coat of paint. That's what you got. I think that's that's fair. I think I was talking more specifically with some of the things that are a little bit more consistent. Some guys will do a bet. You know, some painters are 
better equipped to do a better job. Some painters have a have a range. Some painters are able to do cheap slap coat slap coats of paint on walls all the way up to you know level five skim coatings so that the walls are perfect. You know, we're like us for example, we're capable of running that entire gamut from all the way to cheap if that's really what somebody wants in a commercial space, all the way to apartments on Park and Fifth Avenue where they're going to take their flashlight from their phone and and go on every inch of the wall looking for pimples. But I think one of the, in my experience, one of the biggest differences between a company like ours and somebody who is just a freelancer who does does jobs. A day laborer. But but even one that throws a crew together and is able to do a bigger job from now and then is some of the overhead things like licenses, things like carrying not just basic insurance, but real insurance that that allows you to, to you know be covered in people's homes and cover getting into buildings. Um, things like software that we run in order to make things more controlled. We have well, pricing software, we have blueprint reading software. Those are all we have tool tags in order to uh, that's what I'm saying, but I think some of those are more controlled parts of the equation. It's hard to, without being on a specific job, it's hard to say, well, painting a wall with the prep work should be X amount of dollars per square foot because depending on what the condition of the wall is and frankly, depending on what the customer is looking for in prep work and in finished product will determine how much things cost as far as labor and materials is concerned. Well, but some all, of those it's things... All, it's all about time in, the, in those instances. In those instances, but there's other things, insurance coverage... Um, well, that, having, I mean, no, that's the difference between pricing. I, I, you know, when someone goes over and gives you a price to paint a room $100, what's the likelihood that, you know, and they work by themselves, what's the likelihood that they have insurance? What's the likelihood that they're paying for software and software updates? What's the likelihood that they're running a website? You know, these are all costs of business in today's world. You know, on a website, nobody can find you. Nobody has a yellow, you know, nobody even gets the yellow pages anymore. Those are things that pay. If you want yellow pages, you go online, you, you type in yellow or white pages. So uh, maintaining all those things are all costs of overhead. So when you look at someone who looks at one room and you look at that same room and you're two or three times higher in price, more than likely, there's a lot of things that are changing, and, and a lot of them are the professional costs. It costs a lot to run a business. Workman's comp, disability, uh, what do you call payroll it? Tax, taxes. Payroll yeah. taxes, uh, you know, because you're matching people in FICA. I mean, the, the amount of, of things that we have to go over and we run, and the monthly stuff, you know, we have yearly to go over and be able to read blueprints. Otherwise, you have to spend... Nowadays, in the old days, they used to give you a set of blueprints because it cost them 10 bucks to print. Now it's $100 to print a set of blueprints. They're 300 pages long, and you don't need all 300 pages. So they send you PDFs. If you don't have a machine that could, you know, a program to read that, that's... A lot of money. It's not a little bit of money to have a, a program, the proper program, to go over and work with something like that. Um, having a, you know certain software, being part of organizations, 
That's another thing, you know, becoming part of an organization that goes over and has some sort of idea of what they're doing. Now, at least if you uh, go over and join the PCA, where we don't get insurance anymore, where they used to, we used to be able to get insurance through them, but at least they have um, a database of different problems and they have standardizations. One of the things is, like you mentioned, oh, they come, they take out their cell phone, they turn the flashlight on and put the magnifying glass on it. Uh, you know, the, the safety standards and the standards in the, uh, the ASTM, American Safety uh, Standards, uh, you know, calls for the PCA standards to be used when it comes to painting. And for them, that's three feet from the wall. You're not allowed to go over and scrutinize a wall closer than three feet. Because it doesn't matter what job you do. If you're close in three feet, you'll always find something. Um, you know, there are people out there who don't, you know, that, that's part of being a contractor, though, is, you know, keeping the expectations of the client. So, you know, that's another uh, intricate part of the job. Well, that was going to be my next question. How do you, I mean, I can talk about how I do it, but how do you get that message across to the customer that, I mean, if tomorrow we, if later today when we do an estimate, and we give a price that's higher than some random person who's not really a contractor, and the customer comes back to us and says, somebody came in at half your number. How do you go about explaining that to the customer? Because if that happened today, it wouldn't be the first, nor will it be the last time that happens. So what do you do? What are your preferred methods of explaining that to a customer? Well, I I go through the steps. I, you know, I ask them what they're going to do. Are they going to sand between coats? Are they going to give you two or three coats? Uh, you know, are they going to nickel and dime you at the end of the job? Uh, there's so many different questions that you need to sit down and talk with the client to find out what they're looking for. Uh, you know, the old adage, you know, uh, everybody wants uh, to, to buy, you know, own the Cadillac, but they want to pay the Volkswagen price. So, you know, you have to make people understand if you're buying a Volkswagen, you're buying a Volkswagen. You're not buying a Cadillac. You're just not getting the same, you know, automobile. Um, and even if today the Volkswagen's the better car than the Cadillac, you know, you have to go over and, and weigh what the costs are of, of different things. And you have to understand the limitations. If you want something done quickly, then there are steps that have to be cut out in order to do it quickly. If you want to do the and job cheaply for and that cheaply matter. for that, well, quickly means cheaply because time is money. The longer you spend on, on, on the walls, the more you have to charge because labor is the big part of the job. And, uh, and we're doing a kitchen right now. We've spent three weeks in one kitchen. You know, you had three to five men in, in the kitchen six days a week for three weeks. Just to clarify, that's a spray job. It's not. We're not just uh, yeah, we're walking not. around with a one-inch brush yeah. trying to do everything <laughs> yeah. by hand. Yeah, but still, you know, it's a it's a it's a huge job. Could someone come in cheaper than us? Probably, but are they going to do the steps that we took? I mean, you know, we spent three days just per, you know getting the kitchen broken down to go over and protect all of the clients' things, you know, they have refrigerators and stoves and hoods and, and there's glass and there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be, you know, furniture to move and floors to cover and countertops to protect. 
you know, other guys will come in and they'll, they'll just brush it out and go, oh, look how beautiful. And it's just not the same job. And you come in and you take a look at this spray job, you just, you know, you go, wow. And you, you can really, you can always see the difference. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the reasons that I thought that this podcast had an important message. I think that one of the things that the contracting business in my 16, 17 years in it, that's always been apparent to me that it's lacking is continuity across the board. There's a lot of small businesses doing this, but what you see is in other industries, I mean, take two huge companies, AT&T and Verizon, the two major cell phone companies, and now they do cable and they do television and they do internet and they do all these things. But what you see is they compete against each other and they try and undercut each other, but there's a range. Things are pretty standardized. It costs what it costs for certain things. And by doing that, what they've allowed themselves to do is they both make money even though they're competing against each other. There's a lot of reasons one could go with AT&T. There's a lot of reasons one can go with Verizon. And it's both those companies' jobs to explain those differences and give you their sales pitch and give you their bundle discounts or whatever else they're going to do to entice you in. But what you find is at and there, there isn't many areas in which AT&T is $10 and Verizon is $100. And in our business, there you get that a lot. You know, any job that I've ever been on that gets bid out to the public, there's always one person that comes in incredibly high and overbids the job. Then there's a couple people that come in in the middle. And then there's at least one person that comes in way less than everybody else. And I've always thought to myself, I get that that person is just trying to make their day rate and just trying to make a living and trying to pay their four guys and do one big job because, hey, it books us for two weeks and, you know, now I don't have to worry about finding new work for two weeks. But I always felt that it would benefit everybody from the high price guy to the low price guy if we all kind of came in closer to the middle. Because if you're the low price guy and you come in closer to the guys that do have more overhead and do have more expenses than you do, all that means is that you make extra money. If you don't have to, if you're running a, if you're a guy by, you know, you're a, you're a person by yourself and you paint, you know, by yourself. And so, you know, you could paint a 10 by 12 bedroom for $400 because it's going to take you two days to do it. <clears throat> but the standard price for that bedroom is $1,200. It only serves you to charge $1,000. So, yes, you're still cheaper than the standard $1,200 guy. But instead of making $200 a day, you just up to how much you're making to $500 a day. And you're still coming in at the lowest price. Well, that's, and then, my, that's my big conundrum. And then the, the, <laughs> the guy at the top, too, he thinks that the room needs a lot more work than everybody. And he's an artist with a paintbrush. And their, you know, their company is special and they do work with only the finest whatever nonsense they're spewing that makes them you know 30 40 percent more than the next closest guy if they were to come back to reality and only be five or ten percent more they may get more of those jobs they would still make enough money and it wouldn't seem like they were so outrageous or they were trying to price it because the person has money or whatever else it seems I mean, yes, some people do work that's just, you know, we know a couple of guys that 
spray fine paints of Europe. And when I tell you their jobs are some of the best paint jobs I've ever personally seen, and that takes a lot of equipment and a lot of work and things that most people don't do, so they're always going to be on the expensive side. I'm not asking them to do the job at a loss, but if everybody kind of came in closer to that middle, that place where everybody can make money, it only helps the industry as a whole. There's an old saying, the rising tide raises all ships. And I think that we could all learn that just being able to tout that you're the cheapest guy to do the job, one, won't always win you the job because some people will always be skeptical of the cheap guy. And two, yeah, should be. And two, when you come in closer, even if you can afford to do it cheaper, the, high, the, better, the closer your price is to the industry standards, if we could create those, the more money that you make for your time, and then the more you can invest in the job you're doing. I, I totally agree with that, and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I listen to day painters, you know, that work on their own, and they have a few guys, and, you know, they're charging their rate out the same as their guys' rate out, and they don't see the big picture. You know, they, they know they're working, and that's all they care about. They're making enough to pay their bills, and, and that's all they really care about. And that's not being a businessman. That, that's just being an employee for your own company. Um, that, that's not making you money. There's a difference between making profit and, and having a business. And a lot of these guys don't know that difference. Um, the guy who's doing the top, who's spitting the, the highest, highest guy, usually he's the guy that actually knows what's going on, but they're going to do the job 100% and, and they're going to guarantee their work and they're going to come back and they're going to do whatever it takes to make the job right. Another guy who's coming in who's a day laborer and you start complaining, they're gone because they were being paid by the day by you or you paid them the money already because they were so cheap. Well, once again, you're not really getting what you're paying for or you actually are getting what you paid for so that you need to go over and, and, and unfortunately, a lot of these guys don't get it. It's a shame because they're only shooting themselves in the foot. Well, not just themselves, but everybody. They're making, right. Well, they bring the whole. They bring the standard down. They make less money on a day to day rate because they feel like they can afford it. Right. But they and also they make, take jobs away from guys who are giving legitimate prices. And it's we're even though we're competing against each other, we're all in this together. The more money that we can charge for our services, the more consistency there is. The more serious we all look. When you're a serious business person, somebody gets a recommendation to you and you come in at a job, let's just say you come in at a job that, and it's $10,000 and some guy off the street comes in at $2,000, everybody in that situation is made to look bad. Right. First, you may, you're made in, in the immediate, you look crazy. Why are you charging me five times what somebody else is charging right. me? The person who recommended you now has less credibility to their friend or their acquaintance or their, their business associate. And third, this person who only charged $2,000, they're likely not going to do the job that this customer expected or really wants. And so they're giving all contractors a bad name because, yeah, they're making their day rate. They're coming, they're slapping paint on the walls. 
And then the person thinks, oh, well, all contractors are just trying to get over on you. I got charged $2,000 for this, which to me is a lot of money, but they did a terrible job and they promised me that they wouldn't. And what they don't realize is you get what you pay for, but people's $10,000 for a paint job might not seem a lot to some people. And it might seem very reasonable to you and I as contractors who know what goes into doing that paint job correctly. But to some people, what are you doing? You're, do, you're buying $100 worth of paint and some plastic and some rollers and you're throwing paint at the walls. They don't understand what it takes because they're not experts in the field. So when there's not a consistency in the industry, what you get is conflicting information, people who don't understand exactly what needs to be done to do a job well. And so they think that we're all trying to get over on them. They think that everybody is going to take them for a ride, that everybody is looking to get their money and run. And I don't think anybody who's serious about building a business, anybody who's serious about their reputation, anybody who's serious about being taken seriously wants that kind of stigma around our job, around our business. I, I agree with all those statements completely, you know, and it's, it's the conundrum. Uh, there, it's really difficult to come up with what a standard is. Um, I, you know, I, it's like, you know, I, I, the problem is even architects and, you know, people who are supposed to, uh, you know, uh, professionals in the field don't even know what some of these things mean. I was on a job once many years ago where, you know, the contractor kept yelling about a level five with the paint job. And I'm like, dude, man, level five has nothing to do with the paint job. That's the sheetrock job. Did you skim coat? If you didn't skim coat, don't talk to me about level five. He's like, no, 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 level five paint. I said, there is no such a thing. And who's telling you this information? Architect chimed in. I'm like, you show me. You know, five years ago, uh, when we did that job, it was more than five, five, years, more than five years ago. There was still an internet, though, and you can get on the internet mm -hmm. and look that up. And, it, you know, it comes right up that, you know, a level five had to do with the sheetrock job, not with the paint job. The problem is... Paints want level walls. The paint, right, paint want level walls. And the smoother and the more level the walls, the better the paint's going to look. And the only way to get smooth level walls is to go over and work on them. That's sanding them and skim coating them or plastering them. That's bringing a five foot level in to make sure that when you lay it on the wall, <laughs> it's actually flat. flat. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when you talk to someone and they go, well, you know, what's the difference? Well, those are the differences. When you come in and, and you can still see where, you know, nails are popping and, you know, tape may only have one coat on it. Or they left the wallpaper on and they rolled paint on top of the old wallpaper. Yeah, of course it's cheaper. There was less work done. It's always cheaper to do less work because it's all driven by labor. Materials, I don't care who you are. Benjamin Moore is Benjamin Moore. You can get different levels of Benjamin Moore, but I don't care if you're using Deco, you're paying the same price as 20 other guys or 100 or every other guy. Yeah. It's just like buying a car or a phone. When you go into AT&T or Verizon and you're buying an iPhone, you're buying an iPhone. The iPhone costs what the iPhone costs. Of course. Yeah. So the paint is the same thing. Paint yeah. is it's what it It's all about the service. It's all about the service and how quickly you take care of problems and, and how often the boss is there. I think that's one of the things that separates us. Uh, you know, most jobs, a lot of guys go over, send their foreman to the job, they show up one day, and then they come at the end and collect a check. 
They don't, they don't go, we're on the job every day, a couple times during the day, making a circuit. People go, why are you so crazy? Because we're actually on the job making sure it's being done. That's not the client's job. And, and, and that's when I get crazy, when someone who's more expensive than me that doesn't show up, like a designer, wants to go over and come in afterwards to make a, make, you know, make a decision that's already been made. Don't come in and, and change what we've already made on a decision. You want to make a decision, be there when you're supposed to be there. You know, before, during, and at the end of the job. Don't show up at the end and then criticize. You just don't have that option anymore. Um, and, and then, you know, clients need to understand, first off, this is not a hobby. This is our business. We must make profit. I'm sorry. I have to go over and feed myself, and I have to feed my son, I have to feed my family, I have to feed my guys, and they all have to feed their people. This is a business. We're not here to do it for free. Yeah, there and aren't many businesses, you know, you don't walk into Best Buy and see a TV that's $2,000 and look at the clerk at Best Buy and say, or the manager of the store and say, this TV, it's nice, but 2000 seems expensive. Would you take $1,500 for it? That's not the way it works in almost any other, you know, you don't walk into a restaurant and so say. This meal looks like it's really great, uh, $500 though, for that price fix. Don't you think you could do it for three? You know what I mean? That's just not something that happens in most other industries. But in our industry, it's basically standard for someone to look at your price and basically tell you, nope, you're too expensive. Whether or not they understand what that pricing is. And where it comes from, and I think one of the hardest things, something that I've been trying to learn more, is the ability to say no, that just having work is not the end-all, be-all. It's having work that makes sense and makes money, because if it doesn't make sense and it doesn't make money, then I'm stressing myself out, exhausting myself, and spinning my wheels for nothing. And why come into work if you're not making money? I might as well stay. I can make no money staying home. And not be aggravated. You know, I could be stressed because I can't pay my bills. But I'm, you're going to have that same stress I'm, if you're working for not for, enough money. Or if I'm, I'm actually going to have more stress if I'm working at a loss. So, no, I don't, I, I, you know, this, this, is a, this is a real deal. People can't, you change your mind, you pay for the change. This, this is not, you know, we've given you all the choices. We've given you every opportunity to go make a decision before we start. Once it's started and the price is set, you want to change something, it changes the job and it changes the price and it may change time frames. So, I mean, I, I think that pretty much sums it up and wraps up where we're going with this yeah, thing. I think we'd like to go more into some of what we think pricing continuity and some sort of standardized pricing, how that would help the industry. But I think that's another conversation for another episode. I think so, too. So, Lewis, thanks for joining us again. Scott, and thanks for having me. And everybody have a great day. You, too. Thanks for listening to A New Coat of Paint podcast. As always, these are your hosts, Scott and Lewis Katz. Please look us up on Twitter at new underscore coat or on Facebook at New Coat of Paint Podcast. As always, we appreciate any likes, follows, listeners, and subscribers. Have a great day, and thank you.